0: Welcome to This Moment in Democracy. I'm Saladin Ambar. This episode was recorded on November 28, 2023. Today, we have a conversation with Kelly Dittmar, an Associate Professor of Political Science at Rutgers University Camden and Director of Research and Scholar at the Center for American Women in Politics at the Eagleton Institute of Politics. We'll be discussing the center's latest report rethinking women's political power and exploring what its findings suggest about the future of women's representation in democracy. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, listen, uh, I know you and COP have uh, produced many of these reports over the years. Could you just share with us a little bit about how this report on power differs from some of the work you all have done before?
1: Yeah, sure. So the Center for American Women in Politics as you noted has, you know, a history of doing research that's trying to understand where women stand in terms of women's political representation um, and what could be done to both increase that representation and also why we care about this. In other words, why it matters. So a lot of work done on the impact of women in office. And that was our last real large scale research project um, before kind of these recent batch of projects that we've been doing on two areas, uh, money and politics and this project on power. When we started to think about this project, which has been in the works for over two years, it's a very large-scale, largely qualitative project, what we wanted to do was dig a little deeper and reframe a discussion that we've been having at COP for over 50 years, which was COP is known for keeping the numbers, i.e., you know, how many women are at each level of office, by party, by race, et cetera. And in a lot of our conversations with outsiders, pr- practitioners, um, advocates, representation or the number of women serving in office often becomes the uh, code or proxy for power. In other words, if women are close to 50%, we must be doing great. Uh, but we knew, especially as women have gotten closer to 50%, that simply having that number of women in office doesn't equate to power and so we wanted to investigate that more specifically and also illuminate it through the words and experiences of women themselves elected women activists practitioners who could talk to us about one where does political power really lie Um, it's not only in elected office and then how well are women represented in those positions and then what are the dynamics of power once you're in office so we talked about things like the importance of having leadership, the challenge of being in a partisan minority. Um, And we did this by looking specifically in five states. And so we thought if we could just dig into political ecosystems within states, we could both identify those sites for power and really talk to primarily women, but also some men about how women are accessing that power and the degrees to which there are still barriers to it. As well as the ways in which women have seen gains in that power over the last decade.
0: That, that's really interesting, and I was struck by the the selection of states and and you know their sort of representativeness of the country. Maybe we can get into a little bit of that uh, in a moment. But, but back to this question of power, um, could you succinctly put to us how you are defining power in this report? What does it mean to say women have more or less power? Uh, Than before?
1: So we start the report. The report's made up of kind of five chapters. I don't want to make folks think it's too ominous. Um, (laughs) It's pretty accessible, but we start with a chapter that is defined as rethinking political power generally. And To sort of dodge your question, we have our our interview subjects define power for us. In other words, we ask them all, what does power mean to you? What does political power mean to you? And so we have a long listing at the beginning of this report of all of the ways in which uh, they define power and, of course, the ways in which they align. So key things were uh, the ability to make things move. In other Mm. words, when we're talking about politics, the ability to make policy move um and the some some defined power simply as having a seat and a voice at decision making tables um and that mattered to us a lot and informed our kind of framing of this this uh issue when we were thinking about those who sit at the table who aren't elected um so i think those were among the the key Um, definitions or criteria for power that I think we landed on Um, and I think also in there um, are discussions about specific types of um, uh, specific items that folks can use to leverage power. So votes, ability to knock on doors, um, money, Um, and so the kind of currency of power, I think, came up as well in those definitions. Uh, So there's, there's no one definition we put out, but I think you can see very quickly in the report the various criteria that we use to frame the remainder of the chapters.
0: Wow, you know, I think obviously, as as political scientists, we've we've read lots of these types of reports uh, that deal with representation and representativeness. I don't think I've ever read one uh, with uh, the subject of power at the center, which is uh really uh, really novel and and I think uh, critical uh, to thinking about these issues. what What kinds of structural barriers exist uh, in these states and perhaps writ large? for women uh being able to uh achieve the kind of power uh that men frankly have had um you know since time immemorial in, in our polity. What 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 are the uh, ingredients that have been missing or the impediments uh to women attaining power?
1: Yeah, we we focus Uh, a full chapter on this. And it's really hard to distinguish, by the way, as you know, um, between kind of what is structural, what is political, what is a social barrier, um, but certainly among those that seem the most structural um, or the perhaps easiest, I shouldn't say easy, uh, the perhaps most directly changed by rules or formal um, procedures. Um, The things that came up there were money, Right. So money in various aspects. It was important for us in this report because my colleague Kira Sambamatsu has been doing great research on women as donors or gender differences among donors, gender differences in campaign fundraising. And this continually comes up as well in qualitative research where legislators, candidates, women candidates will say, look, it's hard for us to raise money. But we know at the end of the day, they do. Right. And so it's a tricky uh, dynamic. Uh, But so so certainly that came up in our report. Challenges around raising money, access to moneyed networks, particularly at intersections of race um, and gender, talking about historically marginalized groups um, who may have less access to these networks. Um, But money also in terms of once you're in office. So legislator pay. And not only legislator pay, but if you're on, for example, we cite in our report, the Norman City Council. Okay. You're on the Norman City Council. You make $100 a month.
0: Now right? Is this Norman, is not... Norman, Oklahoma? What?
1: Norman, Oklahoma. Yes. All right. Sorry. For our <laughs>
0: listeners out there who are a little <laughs> Jersey centric, we're in Norman, yeah. Oklahoma. Great. Gotcha. Yes.
1: Um, and so, and if you're in the Oklahoma legislature, you make $47,500 a year. So even though... A legislator is seen as more, perhaps more prestigious. You have to go, you have to travel to the state capitol. These are relatively low amounts of money for folks to take on what is a difficult job of being in public service. Um, and then add to that if you're a staffer. So again, when we're thinking about power, thinking about broad um, definitions and, and sites of power, we know that political staff are highly influential. Um, but they are almost universally underpaid. Um, and so does that then not attract women? Does it challenge the dynamics of power? Those who can afford to take, um, the opportunity cost of, of public service, um, you know, decide to, to serve in that capacity. So, so money at various junctures. Um, and and there's disparities for women, again, because we know, generally speaking, women um, are, are are coming into this with less wealth and less access to capital. Um, and then add to that work family issues that come up all the time. You know, when we talk about gender, um, this is changing because the dynamics of who takes care of children and who cares for the elderly, et cetera, is changing, but certainly it's still disproportionately women. And so the women we interviewed you know, talked about the lack of childcare care um, at whatever governmental body or institution they were a part of, or the lack of being able to use funds for childcare. This is changing in some states um, when you're on the campaign trail. But what if you're a staffer, right? That only applies to candidates. So um, work family challenges. Um, are structural. And then, you know, when we kind of bridge between the structure and social, of course, is that's when we get into the more um, cultural dynamics of these institutions that have been dominantly white, dominantly male for all of history. And simply getting women in these institutions doesn't mean that those cultures go away overnight.
0: Right. Wow. Well, that's uh, that's a lot to digest. And I think, uh, you know, very important um, in thinking about, uh, the variations there. And did, did you get a sense of um, how voters respond to uh, women in leadership positions, particularly uh, as it applies to maybe racially or ethnically diverse women, people from these marginalized uh, backgrounds historically? Is there any sense of, of the connection or maybe the lack of a connection uh, between uh, women of color in those power positions and voters?
1: Yeah. So Again, you know, we were coming at it. So just to give a, a quick background on who we interviewed. So sure. we were interviewing, um, we identified largely women in positions of political power, right? So they were not only elected, but elected women, appointed women, women, political practitioners, like consultants, staffers, et cetera, uh, lobbyists. At activists and advocates, women's organization leaders because we were politically we were particularly interested in women's political organizations and the way in which they shape these ecosystems, party leaders. so that was our group, our kind of population of interview subjects. and we did nearly two hundred interviews, but across five different states. Um, and so, we weren't talking to the average voter, but we could garner to your question. We could garner some sense of this from the women themselves and their experiences, or like if there was a practitioner, their sense of what voters thought of um, the increase um, in diversity in terms of political power. And so it did. This is where you see a lot of barriers. Right. Because states matter and culture matters and party matters and diversity, um, racial and ethnic diversity of those states matter. So, for example, a um, uh, representative from Pennsylvania, Emily Cage, she has a quote in our report where she says, look, when I was running. I would go to people's doors, and they were just so grateful that it was a woman. In other words, like she said, (laughs) I know historically, this has been a challenge and people question women's qualifications and don't take them seriously. And all of that. She's like, but for me, I was running. She was running in that 2018, 2020 era. Right. In this moment. And she was like, they were just glad I was there. And they really thought that me being a woman was an advantage. And so you see some of that in this particular period where some women are saying, it really was beneficial to me. And other women, specifically women of color, are saying, even even despite some voters and the the racism and sexism they absolutely faced, that at the same time, they had experiences with voters who shared their identities that made them feel like this was worthwhile. So um, Jessica Garvin, who's a a Latina legislator in Oklahoma, said, you know, it, I was in the state um, legislature walking through the halls, a Latina young woman came up to me, right? And the sense that like somebody like me could be in this position of power, especially in a state of like Oklahoma, which is very dominantly white, right? And so you don't see that level of representation. So I think we heard kind of the both ends of these stories, which is the real value and importance of having Of of voters, particularly of these shared backgrounds and identities, seeing people like them in office and that being quite motivating for the women. Um, and at the same point, those often those same women saying, but man, (laughs) there are other people at other issues that we still deal with questioning our qualifications, even making us feel unsafe, right? Um, because of historical and contemporary racism and misogyny.
0: Well, th- this kind of qualitative research is so, so wonderful. And I think so much needed. These interviews are really, uh, you know, sociological, almost anthropological uh, gold mines for thinking about uh, women and and not only politics, but as you uh, and the report suggests power. Uh, it's, it's really fascinating. Uh, I, I'd love to see those. Are those interviews available anywhere or?
1: So I will say, so the report itself and the microsite that we put out Um, has over 600 kind of individual quotations um, from those interviews. And they're all searchable. Um, and filterable by different dynamics, the state they're from, the topic, the role that they play, the party, race and ethnicity, all of these things. So there are ways to get at that interview data. Um, We haven't put out full interview transcripts, and we don't intend to do that at this point. That wasn't something we asked for permission to do with our interview subjects. But um, I do intend to write a book-length project about this where I can integrate more of those stories, especially those longer stories of individual women or states. Um, um, and so, hopefully, that'll be coming out. Um, well, we know time for books takes longer, <laughs> but um, I'll be writing yeah. that um, into the into twenty twenty four.
0: Absolutely. Well, another related question as as we begin to wind down is is the question of partisan differences, either among the voters or or the women themselves. Um, did you get a sense of um, their political trajectory, their rise into leadership positions, their rise into positions of power uh, that varied? based on political party. Did any of that um, come out in the report?
1: Absolutely. Um, And this is something we've seen in the numbers over time, but what we could dig into qualitatively was what's behind those disparities. And the disparities are that women in office are disproportionately Democratic. And even in a Republican-dominant state like Oklahoma, which is a state we studied, or Georgia, um, another state with strong Republican control, if you look at the percentage of those uh, women who are in office or women as a percentage of their party caucus they are much better represented in some cases over 50 percent in the democratic party while they are usually less than 20 percent of republicans in office and so what we did in the report to kind of get at that was ask why so why did these folks see this this disparity why did what, what explanations could they offer to us? And I think what we saw both through the way uh, we probed them, um, and we probed party leaders, um, and the way they responded directly to that question, was that Republicans were far less likely to define women's numeric underrepresentation as a problem in need of a solution. And it wasn't like they don't care about women's representation, but they very much don't agree, as you know, with this idea of quote unquote identity politics, that we have to get a certain percentage of a demographic group in office. And so we have these quotes where women are saying, well, I'm, I'm glad to have more women in office, but I don't think we should be doing targeted support, you know, for women that is to the detriment of other groups. And so, um, To to me, and and we have a whole chapter on this in the report where we say, like, that's a huge problem. If we can't even just say this is a problem and need a solution and here are the ways we tackle it, um, it's going to make it very hard. And so we offer some suggestions in the report in terms of prescriptions to say, look, the, the infrastructure for women in politics today is very gender targeted. In other words, there are women's political packs, women's political organizations. Republican women and men um, are largely not very generally across the board supportive of them, and the women who are struggle to, to get a lot of traction. Um, and so we have to think about different ways to frame the problem to Republicans and maybe broader base solutions um, and, and infrastructure to support Republican women that isn't just framed as this is just for women, um, because that's a turnoff. And often the the organizations that are targeting women, when we talk to Republican women, they repeatedly said to us, yeah, they say they're nonpartisan, but they're not for us. <laughs> and so they <laughs> right, also don't right. feel welcome in those spaces. So um, there's a support infrastructure and there's problem definition disparities by party that I think we can... Um, interrogate and intervene in, but we haven't really done so successfully. I say we as the women's political community thus far.
0: By the way, before I I get to my my final question, uh, where can um, faculty, students, uh, ordinary citizens who are really interested in this topic of women in leadership uh, and power, where can they find this report?
1: Yeah, so the report is on our website, and it's got a very easy uh, uh, URL in and of itself, so it's Rethinking Political Power. Dot dot edu, um, but it'll also be on the, the main COP website, which is cawp.ruckers.edu. Um, and you can find there the report as well as other data and research on on these topics. Um, and then we'll also be pushing it out on our social media um, on so are on X and Instagram, putting out some of the highlights and some of the direct quotes, including audio from this report. Those will be available and being circulated.
0: Well, uh- Kelly, Dr. Dittmar, uh, I've known you for a while, and you've been at this for a while. Is there anything, uh, despite your experience and, and your wealth of knowledge uh, on this subject, is there anything from the report that surprised you?
1: I don't think there's anything that surprised me other than, I think, perhaps the the value I saw after kind of digging in in reframing this conversation. In other words, I had been so accustomed, look, I work at the Center for American Women in Politics, we are known for keeping the numbers, so I'm so accustomed to using those numbers as the proxy, again, for power, as I said at the start. Once you open up the window, right, and you say, uh, or, or if you think of those memes, right, where the flashlight's only in one part of the room, but you look in the shadows, um i think you do find so much more and and what was really um rewarding was when i would raise this to the women themselves mm. they would start thinking and and kind of reframing their own thinking about power when i asked the question in that way Um, And so while it wasn't necessarily surprising that we saw some of the same barriers, some of the same challenges across the board for women um, and by party and by race and ethnicity, I think what was really um, enlightening and and helps us get to better prescriptions for action um, is thinking more broadly and more expansively about how we define and tackle the problem of gender disparities in in racial disparities in political power instead of solely in in political representation. And so I I hope that what the report does is is both kind of change the way we talk about this and also give us some new sites um, for action.
0: Well, I certainly hope so. I think this is uh, a really intriguing and much-needed uh, digging behind and and beneath under the numbers, uh, w- which is great. The, the, those numbers uh, do tell a story, but I think what you're getting at here in this report is uh, something uh, you know significantly different, and I think hopefully uh, uh, will lead to further improvement and examination from uh, citizens as well as scholars like yourself and others who uh, value. Uh, the role and, and position of women in American politics. So thank you so much uh, for, for this and for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Dean.
0: Today's podcast has been brought to you by the Eagleton Institute of Politics. Eagleton is a nonpartisan research unit of Rutgers University, New Brunswick. This Moment in Democracy was made possible in part by the generosity of Gerald and Kiko Harvey and Eagleton's many supporters. To support Eagleton's work or sign up for its newsletter, click in the links in the description. Please help support the work we do at This Moment in Democracy. Visit our podcast page at Eagleton.ruckers.edu to learn more. We want to hear from our listeners. Email us at podcast at Eagleton.ruckers.edu to send in your comments about today's episode or suggest topics that you want to hear about.